Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. And today I'm going to take a mismatch of two episodes, put them together, and we're probably going to have three episodes total uh, over the next couple weeks talking about how do you not tell your life by one chapter? Tell your life with the whole plot, with all of the novel, by engaging in a missable life. Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back. Uh, What to talk about today? I actually thought about just making this a riff, just kind of talking stream of conscious, and some of you might think I do that anyhow, but I actually kind of write out, I don't know, usually four to six, sometimes I'm, I'm even seven or eight months out in in what shows will be where, with, with plug-in spots, right, so as things come up, as things change, and today's riff is supposed to be about uh, don't tell your story with one chapter, and a lot of people, or today's episode is supposed to be about that, a lot of people there, there's this really interesting, almost exquisite tension that occurs in life in that we have to accept where we're at right now if we're going to be healthy. We have to accept what is going on in our life right now at this moment if we're going to be healthy. And at the same time, we then have to be optimistic about the future. We have to be willing to look for change. How do we grow? How do we progress? How do we evolve, if you will? And one of the ways that we do that is we avoid the temptation to just live our life in one chapter. And this can be from both good things and bad things, right? And so the mother of three or four young children, might that might become her whole identity in this moment. And to some level, that's that's not only fine, it's normal and healthy, but it can't be her whole life identity. Uh, or she might have a job that she really likes and she's really good at and she's making an impact in the world, and that becomes her whole identity. And it's a good thing. And yet, it would be unhealthy if she tried to tell her entire story of her life through just that chapter. And then you have the other side of it where it's a bad thing that happens, a sentinel event, if you will, Sometimes things happen. People people commit crimes against us. People commit abuses against us. We make mistakes. We hurt other people. We do things that we regret. And, and rather than processing it, that regret becomes guilt and shame. Uh, and, and, you know, guilt is healthy. I, I'm not sure that shame is ever a beneficial uh, emotion. I, I think that guilt that leads us to change is health is is healthy and and beneficial and and really is necessary for life and when people get stuck sometimes they tell their life with just the one chapter think about a person who's struggling with substance abuse we know two things are typically true one they they struggle with relationship right because it's a relationship with the substance that they're abusing uh, that that becomes off the rails it becomes out of uh, a beneficial manner. Instead of being in a beneficial manner, it, be, it becomes this, this non-beneficial thing. 
And, and so we know we're, that they're struggling with relationships. And, and then we also know that there's typically high shame. Most addicts uh, struggle with high shame. This is why we, we, when we do therapy, it's not beneficial to lean into like trying to shame them. And at some level, it'll probably be beneficial for us to just pause for a second and talk about what is shame. Because in America right now, almost anything is shame. And as, as is with most things that are difficult sometimes to define, it's probably beneficial for us to just take a moment and, and maybe define it by what it isn't first. And so someone giving you accurate feedback about something you're doing isn't shaming. Someone saying they don't like something that you like isn't shaming. Someone saying that they do it differently than you is not shaming. Someone saying that you didn't meet standards that are required is not shaming. Someone saying that uh, you're not good enough to play on a certain team or, or organization, that is not shaming. It, it might be hurtful, and, and one of the things that we talk about regularly is the difference between hurtful and harmful. In order to get to harm we have or to shame, we have to be involved with some harm. There has to be a harmful layer to it. I'd even be willing to argue with you that there has to be intent, that, that it's almost impossible for someone to unintentionally shame you. And, and here's why I argue this, because I, I think we, we fail to make the distinction between the things that happen and our interpretation of the things that happen and how they uh, the, they being our interpretations, actually drive most of the emotions that we feel. So then when we switch it over to, okay, let's talk about, you know, shame that I feel. So I do something that is hurtful. I, I don't know, I pick something stupid. I yell at my wife. Uh, I say something that, you know, hurts her feelings. It's an attack. I attack her um, verbally. I, I I should feel regret and guilt. When I feel shame, I start to to circle onto that, and I start to fixate on it, and, and I start to make that my identity. Well, I did this, and, and it becomes the reason why we begin to do other things. So we start to soothe it rather than process it. And so I start to feel shame, and, and rather than I did something wrong, I interpret it as I'm wrong, I'm bad. I did something bad, I'm bad. And this is where we're kind of caught in a little bit of a catch-22 in society today because at some level, one of the messages that we tend to say on repeat to people is there are very few things that you do that are bad as long as it serves you. You just have to be more selfish. You just have to do blah, blah, blah. You have to do what's right for you. And as long as that's the criteria, then... You, you know, it, it's okay. Or, and there are some certain, like, you know, there's some certain codes that you have to live by and, and even maybe some subset codes that people have. So different communities, different groups of people. But shame becomes this thing of, I'm taking this guilt that I, for something that I did and I'm changing it from guilt to an identity piece. And so the question becomes for me, well, how do we not tell our lives with one chapter? And this moment right here is where today's session might become a bit of a riff because recently I was listening to somebody speak and he made the statement, uh, and I'm not sure that this is an exact quote, but the gist of it was, he asked the question, are you living a missable life? Are you living a missable life? Because this is how we stop from telling 
our, our life with just one chapter. It's not the only way, but it's probably the foundational way. What I mean by that is that you have to decide how you're going to live your life so that you can handle the chapters. Right? I, I like the chapter analogy because I truly believe that all of us are telling a story with our lives. Hold your left hand up in front of your face if that represents a story that you thought you were going to be telling. And now hold your right hand up so your fingers are together and they're facing each other and, and touch your fingers together. If they match, life is grand. The reality is, though, that most of us, because that right hand represents the story that you are telling. So when they match, life is grand. The reality is, though, that most of us, there's going to be a little bit of a gap there, and we're going to, we're going to learn to tolerate that, and we're going to learn to navigate that. The chapters, though, these are the different things that happen. So, so my life, you know, I'm, I'm getting older, and I look back at my life, and I realize the different ways that I approach things, the different ways that I interpret things, the way some of my beliefs have drastically changed over the years. And, and that's, that's a, you know, if you were writing a novel, which I've never done, I'd love to do it someday, that's a, a character progression. Also, I want to add one more story uh, trope, technique, I'm not really sure of the word there, but one more story element, I think is actually the word. here's a truth that I believe, and you can decide if you agree with me or not. There are only two stories ever told in the history of mankind. We only tell two types of stories. And yes, I know that there are six basic plots that all stories have, but there's only two stories, actual stories that we tell. One is a story of brokenness. The other is a story of redemption. The really, really amazing stories tell both. They tell both stories of brokenness and redemption. But here's the thing. To do that, you have to have chapters. And of course, the danger for us is that we get stuck in one chapter. Or we try to tell our life just, we we want to tell it without thinking about the segments that make up our life. And so this idea of are you living a missable life, when that becomes the overall arcing plot, or the overall plot arc, I think is the correct word, order, it's easier to move from one chapter to the next. So right now, I have a chapter of my life that is changing. I'm about to, to have my oldest daughter graduate high school, start college, and I am both simultaneously happy about that and excited for her because that is part of the natural order of life, and I'm also grieving it. My youngest is, is, a, is getting closer to hitting double digits. He only has one more single-digit birthday, and I'm excited about that because as he grows and matures, uh, it's, it's, I love being a dad. I love all the stages. And I especially enjoy what, what I think is coming with him, the, the fishing together and those types of things where we're actually fishing, not me fishing and him you know, dancing around on the rocks, which is fine. But at the same time, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't grieving that. In other words, as we transfer from one chapter or segment of life to another, we can grieve it's okay to grieve. And I think part of this is is because all change is loss and all loss should be grieved. And so what happens is we get stuck in a chapter, either A, because it's good and we don't want to move on and deal with the struggle, or B, because it's bad, but it's what we know and so it's familiar. And so it's easier to stay there. It's easier to define ourselves with that than it is to move forward. So, so the teenager living with guilt, you know, I'll meet them as a 50-year-old client, and they've lived the same chapter since they were 15 because this event happened that that drove their life, and they didn't leave that chapter. 
And so, okay, well, Joe, what does this have to do with living a, a missable life? I'm glad you asked, because I think the two of them run together to create the opportunity for us to transition. So I want to live a missable life, and I don't want to tell my life by one chapter. I want there to be progression. I want to grow. One of the things my wife and I were talking about the other day, we were talking about a situation, uh, two counselors in the house, right? And so we're talking about a situation, and, and one of the things that I said to her was, I said, you know, it strikes me that they're this age, and typically that age is defined by a, a level of what we're talking about here, and, and they're, they're resisting the transition to the next age, to the next movement of their life. And that's what's creating some of this emotional distress. And I don't know how it went. She hasn't re-met with them yet, and, and we haven't run that down. But, but one of the things that we need to start considering is, hey, what does it mean to live a missable life? I think a lot of people, they want to avoid th- this idea of living a missable life because it becomes... It, it, we're, we're starved to be heard in America today. We're starved to be heard so we get louder. We, we shout the loudest. Uh, and, and because of this, we get stuck telling one chapter of life, right? Uh, I, I heard about people, you know, we talk about cancel culture. I want you to know wherever you feel about cancel culture, it is a direct result of the inability to tell our, story, our, our life story with multiple chapters whether it's as a collective society or individuals. Because if you did something in chapter three of your life that the the collective crowd believes is wrong, and maybe even you believe it's wrong, but it doesn't get discovered until chapter seven, you can get canceled in chapter seven. And, And the problem with that is it cancels redemption. And one of the things in our society that we have to figure out is we have to figure out what does forgiveness mean? What does it mean to move on? Because if, to, in order to live a missed life, you have to take risk. And so one of the dangers with that is you might fail. Or people want to be, they think the only missed lives are the famous people. Like I saw, I don't know if it, I don't know. I don't know what it was on. It might even have been on, might even been something that somebody said to me. I don't remember. But somebody either said to me or I read it somewhere, what was the last celebrity death that made you cry? And to be honest with you, there's never been a celebrity death that made me cry because they weren't that involved in my life. And so we tend to think falsely that we have to be famous to be missed. You don't. You don't have to be famous to be missed. You just have to live the right kind of way, which involves a balance of of giving your life for the betterment of others, for the betterment of society, and self-care. Now, I do want to circle back. I'm not saying that if you cried over celebrity, there's anything wrong there. Uh, I, I get it. Celebrities, you know, when they're good at their job, that, that we feel connected to them. But I do worry that in this this culture of celebrity worship, we think that the only way we can be missable is either to be famous or to be loud. And so I'll just shout you down, and that's how I'll win. And and I would argue that a missable life doesn't have to be loud. I would say it doesn't have to be claimed, and it doesn't even have to be out in front. You can quietly go about living a missable life because what makes a missable life is that you're making a difference in other people's lives. Well, Joe, I can't do that. And this is the part where I I, I struggle the most because, well, Joe, I can't do that. I don't believe that. I just heard a story this week. One of of my uh, colleagues um, was just going about her life and a woman said, oh, hey, I think your dress is very pretty. 
And they started talking. The woman was like, would you mind if I hugged you? And, and so she hugged uh, my friend, my colleague. And, and she said to her, thank you so much. I haven't hugged anyone in over a year since my husband died in COVID. And because of COVID, I'm guessing. Right? I'm adding the uh, COVID part. But that made an impact on that woman's life. Suddenly, my colleague engaged in a missable activity that is quiet, that is not loud, that is not proclaimed, that is not thrown in people's faces. It's not shouting people down. And it's also not living in one chapter. It's also not living in just this chapter of, well, we can't touch anybody because there's a, a, a virus going on. We're transitioning. We're moving. We're growing. And, and if you want to live a life that isn't told, stole by one chapter, I want to deal with this kind of two ways and we're probably going to do two parts. We're probably going to answer the live a missable life part next week. But, but first of all, you have to come to the place where you recognize the things that you have done that are hurtful or that were destructive or that were not helpful without engaging in shame. So I see this a lot in therapy. We'll be talking about something and suddenly you'll see the light kind of dawn in the client's eye like, oh, hey, I'm chasing my youth because it was taken from me or I have this weird relationship with food or I have a strange relationship with relationships or, or any of these realizations. You, you can see them hit or, or I have this self-defense mechanism that is destroying what I actually want. And, and right there is an opportunity to now make a chapter transition because the realization happened. Oh, I'm doing this and it's hurtful. And so then they have to risk engaging in the behavior that could create the change. However, they also have to be able to recognize the behavior, the activity, the time spent, and dare we say wasted, in engaging in the self-defense mechanism and they have to have space for themselves to grieve that. And some clients, maybe many clients, they get stuck in this shame thing. Like, I can't believe I was that stupid. Well, I always tell people, it's not that you're stupid. It's not that you're, you're wrong. It's not that there's something uh, inappropriate about you. It's not that you're irreparably broken. But you are broken. And the beautiful thing about life is if your heart is beating and you can breathe, there's also redemption. And redemption leads to change, and change moves us to the next chapter. But that creates loss. At the very least, the very, very least, it creates the loss of familiarity. And so people engage in difficulties on repeat because that is known and it's safer than engaging in the change. So we need to develop a skill of being able to truly evaluate our lives, truly evaluate what we're doing, recognize the areas that are not working, even if we've engaged in them repeatedly because we felt they were working. And we can feel regret. We can feel guilt. We can't engage in shame because shame stops us. It bogs us down. And so to tell a new chapter, we have to accurately know the chapter that we're in. If you think about the hero's journey, uh, which is often the the plot line for or the plot structure for how many fictional stories are told, Originally crafted by Joseph Campbell, actually, I believe the book is called The Hero's Journey uh, that he wrote, and it's become a plot for, or the plot structure for many books, and essentially it breaks down into three groups. You'll find, if you search it online, you'll find a lot of, you know, perhaps more uh, detailed examples or, or diagrams of it, but the first one is called to adventure, you know, right, we're all called to an adventure, 
Just the fact that we're here, just the fact that we are alive is a call to adventure. But the adventure is fraught with peril. The adventure has dangers. The adventure has problems. And part of the adventure is trying to solve those problems. And this is typically what we tend to resist. This is what the hero tends to resist. And as the hero begins to engage the problem, they tend to look for a comfortable way to solve the problem, or they refuse the call to the adventure. And so they refuse to to leave their known world, their known atmosphere, and they refuse to leave, if we can stick with the, the kind of the theme of this episode, they refuse to leave their known chapter. And then typically they they meet someone and, and here's you know they meet a, a mentor or they embark on the journey. And now they've left their known chapter, they've left their known universe, but now they're in the middle of an ordeal. Now they're in the middle of peril. Now they're in the middle of discomfort, of pain. And and this is typically where we tend to bail on the process of change. This is where we tend to bail on the idea of growth. When it gets too hard, we stop. And we and because we've come to a place in society where if you feel it it's reality, well people stop. You don't like this, just quit. You don't like that, just stop. You don't like this, just move over there. And and growth can be all of those things. It can be quitting. It can be stopping. It can be moving over there. But if it's done to avoid the perils of the journey, it's probably not growth. And so if you want to tell your life with multiple chapters, if you don't want to be stuck in a chapter, you have to commit to the adventure of telling your world or telling your story, living your story in the unknown world, of living in the adventure of change, of living a missable life, of of doing things that impact others, that improve others. And it can be quiet. It doesn't have to be loud. It doesn't have to be out front. It can literally be in your circle. It doesn't, you don't have to be famous. You don't have to be out there doing all these things. You just have to be able to regularly engage in the perilous journey of putting it out there for other people of admitting your mistakes and and committing to growing from them. That's what you have to do. That's what you have to engage. It's incredibly terrifying for most people, and it's almost always incredibly rewarding. I would actually say it's always rewarding. I just really dislike universals. How do you not live your life by one chapter? You engage in what Joseph Campbell calls the hero's journey. And you pursue making the world better for other people. I truly believe that that is the catalyst to move from a broken story to a redemptive story. You love others as you love yourself. You treat others as you want to be treated, uh, which has been considered the golden rule. You realize that everything you do affects other people which doesn't mean you don't do things. It just means you think through that effect and you seek growth. You recognize growth. You recognize that what you believe in your 20s, you might not believe in your 30s. What you don't believe in your 20s, you might believe in your 30s. And what you believe in your 30s, you might not believe in your 40s. And what you believe in your 40s, you might not believe in your 50s. It brings you growth. Seek growth. And while you're experiencing the growth, you can grieve the growth. You can lament the growth. 
All right, this is going to be a multi-part series uh, for certain. At least one more. As I, as I kind of drew it out, thinking it through, it might actually be three, three episodes. I want you to think about what you're doing in your life to pursue growth and how are you feeling about it? Are you lamenting it? Are you grieving it? Are you allowing yourself the space to grieve it? And then are you also enjoying it? Because those do not have to be mutually exclusive. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.